Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Welcome listeners. Today, you'll get to hear an episode where we talk to a male preschool teacher. His name is Chris and our conversation with him was insightful and funny. And we just, it was so easy. Um, the, the conversation just flowed from the beginning. So he's in my phone as Christopher and he called and it cut it off. So it came through as Christ. So Christ called me today, which is, it was, I was very nervous at first. And then I remembered I was an atheist. So I was like, oh, this must be Christ. It's, it's funny. I mean, that's, it's funny that you say that because of course it's a, funny thing to think that Christ was calling you. But secondly, you know, when you hear about what the, what the job of a preschool teacher really entails, like what is the point? What are you trying to do? It kind of is like what Christ was trying to teach people, which is like, be kind to others, like take care, you know, take care of yourself, take care of other people, you know, don't fight and, and go to the bathroom when you... <laughs> Go to the bathroom when it's potty time. To me, if you were like, you committed this crime, Kosha, you could either go to jail or you could be a preschool teacher. I'd be like, just put me in jail. You know, that sounds a lot easier. I'll have a lot more time to myself. I'll be able to read and sleep and not get boogers all over me. Like, it just seems miserable. But he, the way he talked about his job, I was like, you have to be a specific kind of person, right? To, to like it, but he, it, he is that kind of person. Yeah. Like he was so lovely and open and, um, really creative and doesn't mind 20 kids climbing on top of it or whatever. Like it just, he, he talked about it with such reverence. It was really, it was really lovely to hear his stories I didn't expect to hear what I thought I was going to hear, but the things that he talked about surprised me. And then I feel like, like, like my mind is more open now where I'm like, Oh, I never thought about that. Um, you know, and that I really appreciated that he walked us through sort of how you manage a classroom because most people have that scene in toy story three in their heads when they think about, you know, three to five-year-old kids in a preschool. It's just complete chaos. And, you know, what we're hearing from him is like, 
no, it's not. It's like everything is structured and everything's on time and things take a long time, but they're like, everyone knows what's happening every day at every time. Like this is what we're doing now. And then we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this. It's not a free for all. And how much patience and skill it takes to help young children learn life skills in a way that's both like lifts them up and also places the appropriate amount of responsibility on them. Uh, I really liked him. He, I didn't know he is, he is Scottish. So he moved here a long time ago. So it's not a very super thick accent, but he just has the voice for being a teacher. I was like, I would totally sit down and listen to you if you told me to, you know, sit down and paint with, you know, with my friends or whatever. So, um, but yeah, it it was, it was really lovely and he was lovely. And um, I really think that people will enjoy this episode. I think so too. So enjoy listening to Chris. He is speaking. Hi, my name is Chris Conley. My pronouns are he, him, and I am speaking. Absolutely. Hi, Chris. Welcome to our our podcast, and thank you Hello. so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's funny. We uh, as we were chatting before, we just learned we have a mutual acquaintance, uh, someone that we actually interviewed earlier this season, at the very beginning of this season, right. is the mom of a your daughter's really good friend. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You know, I was like, oh, wow, it's a small world, but Oak Park River Forest is a small world. So it is. Yeah, it's, it's more common sure. than. And Chris, you are a preschool teacher. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I'm right. a preschool and what teacher. what ages do you work with? Uh, three and four year olds. OK. Wow. When they come into my classroom, they're three. Some are in the upper twos. And when they leave, they're generally four, sometimes five, you know. So they go somewhere else before kindergarten. So they go to another room. There's another room in the center. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard it said before that three is really the first adolescence that they're not three-year-olds, they're three-nagers. Is that true? Like, do you see that? (laughs) That three-year-olds are kind of like really pushing the boundaries and testing their independence and sometimes very irrational. Like you can't really talk to them and sometimes you can't. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think boundary pushing is a good way of putting it, but boundary pushing has also a negative connotation. There's lots of boundaries that can be pushed and that's a good thing. I tend to see my, from my experience, it's a good thing uh, that these kids are not necessarily how they are when they're home with their parents and have have the whole stage to themselves. My class uh, has, you know, an average of about 20 children from all different, you know, backgrounds. And that is a very, very positive thing because they can't all get the attention that they might require for their tantrum so there's no tantrum um so yeah there are there there are problems but for the most part uh they are working as um 
en masse, I suppose. They're, they're a group and they be, they've been a group since they can remember. The, most of the kids, uh, we gather some along the way. Most of these kids came to us when they were maybe six weeks old and they're going to be with us till they go to kindergarten. So are you saying they mutiny? essentially <laughs> they would have to I if guess. only they knew how to do that <laughs> that would be great <laughs> they only understood the power they had as a group they have a lot of power <laughs> and sometimes i have let them lie on top of me before and it can get ugly <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background obviously we know what you do now but where did that interest start it started from uh, my own children and I moved to Oak Park. Uh, we moved, my family moved to Oak Park from Rogers Park about 11 years ago. And um, when we first got there, my daughter went into a home daycare and my son was just about to start kindergarten. And I really liked the home daycare, uh, the home daycare that my daughter went to. And I eventually just asked at pickup one night, one of the directors, because it was very small at the time, I said, how do you end up working in a place like this? And she just sort of laughed. And um, I said, I'm really interested. We talked about it. And then eventually I went in for to try it out and see if I liked it. And I did. And, uh, you know, I started working there then. But I don't come from that kind of background. It was mostly as a parent that I became interested in this. I liked the way they were treating the kids. I liked how my daughter was, oh, my daughter hated when I picked her up at night, okay? So I'd come and get her and she'd go, ah, <laughs> nice to see you too. And she was three at the time. She was having such a great time and the people who ran the place were, and the teachers who were there were just great. And I really felt comfortable. And I thought that would be a great place to work for some for some reason it was too, like two jigsaw puzzle pieces or some, light bulb that went off and I'm not young you know I wasn't in my 20s or anything like that I was you know gosh I must have been yeah I was 50. It's weird to have a career change at that time of life but I didn't even think about that I didn't I didn't care I just liked the vibe I liked the atmosphere. That's so cool just to be able to be like wonder what it's like here wonder if I enjoy working here. Yeah. What did you do before? So you're talking about a mid, you know, midlife career change. Yeah, I well, I'm a musician and I that's why I moved to the States in the first place from Scotland. I'm a musician and, you know, I kind of uh, bottomed out on that a little bit, although I kept creating. But I, I got a job in a record shop, which lots of musicians do, a bar or a record store. And I worked in a record store for a very, very long time. And I eventually... It just wasn't doing it for me anymore. And it was it was a fine job. I mean, I love being around music and things like that. It was, it was uh, you know, I feel very privileged to have done that, but it wasn't doing it for me anymore. Plus I really wanted to work somewhere that was closer to where my kids were. So I, I couldn't have been any closer because my son went to the uh, after school program and my daughter was there. And I thought, wow, this is great if they're sick. I'm their dads right there how cool is that you know yeah yeah <laughs> that's really really great so you were a musician you came from scotland you had children and then as your children were toddler to young child yeah you decided to make this career change what what did you see 
specifically that intrigued you? I mean, you said that they were really great with the kids and which I totally believe, right? Of course. But what what specifically were the kind of things that really intrigued you to go, I wonder what it's like to work here? I suppose I didn't know anything about it other than what, you know, my son and daughter would tell me about it or or express about it. It seemed to me to be a logical progression in a way because I've always been creative whether I'm writing music or, or drawing or whatever, or writing stories or something. That's always been something for me, having a blank canvas in front of me. And, you know, my daughter would come home with these crazy crafts and messy crafts and stuff like that and clothes covered in paint. And, you know, that was very attractive to me. I thought, oh, I could subvert them. Um, you know, I and, and it's true. And I my boss... actually really likes that about me that I do bring sort of more uh, out of the box artistic ideas to the classroom and a little bit of music to the classroom and some some sort of goofiness. That's what attracted it. It wasn't like I'm a complete madman and I need a work environment where I can be as crazy as I want to be (laughs) and I hide in plain sight. Um, It wasn't that? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) What attracted me was that I could realize these ideas or be influenced by the kids I was teaching and influence them back and we could have a really good time together. You know, at first, yeah, there was some trepidation. I didn't know anything about the field I was getting into really apart from being a parent. And also I thought, what if it's just like really boring all the time? But But it's like any other job, it has, great days where things are just electric and you have a really good time and then there's other days where you're it's fine but it's just it's it's not that exciting like life you know I really appreciate that your first thought was like oh you know what if it's really boring because as someone who is a musician and very creative you seem to go to the new and that you want to make things and do things and create things yeah but did you ever think like what if it's really hard you seem very wonderful with your own kids, which we all are, right? Like our, our kids are the best thing that's happened. I mean, most of the time, but, yeah. but I cannot imagine going into a room and having also to take care of 19 other children. Like to me that my first thought is that seems so hard. <laughs> it's the thing I thought about the most was, uh, keeping them safe and making sure that things didn't get out of control. I didn't think about how how hard it was going to be because it is a job and I was happy, not happy, but I, and I didn't expect to fail at it, but I did know there was a sort of like a feeling of, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If I don't like this, then I can walk away and do something else i'm not taking them on a road trip to somewhere really remote for a month it's not a retreat and we're stuck with each other you're not like adapting them you're not like now i have 20 children that i can't do anything with yeah they're going home at six o'clock and i also you know had uh become quite friendly with the teachers who worked there and at that point before the school expanded there weren't that many teachers and i liked them all and i trusted them all and it seemed like a place that had your back. And I was right about that. You know, the directors of the center 
really do have your back and I'm very comfortable talking to them about that. And they didn't have to sort of say that at the beginning either in a sort of insincere way. It's like, don't you worry about things. We've got your back. It just, I felt it, you know, I, I really felt it. And to this day, I'm still like, if I have a problem, I'll go to them. But I don't have too many problems. You know, I remember one day at the beginning of my my job there, my work there, uh, I was left with a lot of kids in the afternoon. We have shifts and the other teacher had gone home early and I was left with them for about an hour. And there was a thunderstorm and the kids, I brought all the kids in, we're outside, it was the middle of summer and I sat them down and read books. But a lot of them were really, really scared. And that was the first time I had dealt with that when it wasn't my kids or my cats or something like that it was like you know there's 12 kids here and some of them seven of them are are upset or shaking and you know so I had to learn very quickly the right way to talk to them about it and it was okay and then their parents came and it it, it was no longer my problem <laughs> six o'clock yep but it was good. It was a good thing that happened. And then after that, I just knew that they would listen. I do have a booming voice and uh, I, I, can, I can reach the whole room if I have to. I mean, it, it is, I think when most people, myself included, think about what it would be like to be a preschool teacher, you just imagine 20 kids like your three-year-old running around at home. Like the behavior that your kid does in your house. And, right. you know, and you made a really good point earlier, which is they don't act like that. Children don't act like that in school. Like all of us, children pick up at a very young age what is and is not okay in certain settings. Um, and you also said, you know, a lot of these kids have been together since they were babies. And so they know each other, they're comfortable with each other, but they also know what the rules are. So, and the, particularly when, you know, kids tired and the parent goes to pick them up and they, uh, they live, you literally put them in the car and they are wailing because they're tired and they're finally able to like really let go. And you're like, were you like this all day? Like, um, but it's not like that at all. So can you talk a little bit about how you manage a classroom? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's based very much on routine. The kids come in the morning, uh, there's breakfast available they're allowed to play with what they want. We don't give them everything to play with. That's another secret is not letting them just go crazy with everything. Some areas are closed off. Uh, so there's maybe five or six things out and they can move around and do that. And then we all gather together and uh, talk about the weather, tell stories. And uh, then we have a snack and go outside and play. They still nap. So we come in and we do, uh, we have themes. You know, every week we change themes. Like right now, uh, we're doing uh, Black History Month and uh, we just did Chinese New Year. We're doing some Valentine crafts and things like that. And then- I really thought you were going to say crap. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping you would. <laughs> My best friend is a daycare teacher and she works with the babies, like the infants. Uh -huh. And she has got some of the like most potty mouth potty mouth ever like she can just she'll make a sailor blush so i i just think that's so funny where i i thought you were gonna say valentine's crap 
<laughs> well, our, us, us teacher, teachers can get pretty body when they're not listening. Come and visit us at nap time. <laughs> um, so the day is structured and it never, we don't really deviate from that. The activities are different. The stories are different. The weather's different, but the day is the same and they know what to expect. And that's really good for them because if they're feeling insecure about something, because sometimes drop-offs are hard for kids, then we can say, okay, you can come and play. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll have some lunch. You'll take a nap. And then it's almost time for your parents to come back and pick you up again. And, you know, uh, that usually helps. Uh, and it's, it's true. And, you know, what's so great about a group that size is because there's three teachers or four teachers or whatever, you can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with every kid. And once you've done that within the first two weeks of having that class in, in the new year, you get to know their quirks and what they like and what they don't like quite easily. And you're getting to know them like, you know, in a way the parents get to know them too, because you spend, you know, most of their waking time with them. But they will do what the group does for the most part. It's cleanup time. Now, that, that's, that's a pain in the ass, man. You know, getting them <laughs> to clean up. <laughs> but it, we get okay, so it's not just at home but yeah <laughs> but but the thing is there's like two or three kids there who from the get-go are really good at it and then other kids will follow suit you know and it's not a case of rewards or punishment it's just say oh thank you so much for picking up these trains blah blah child child x yeah. can you help child z you know whatever and very soon you have, I mean, really soon, you have a group uh, who work together. There's, there's fighting over toys and things like that. One of the things that we've noticed is that the pandemic has, has been really hard on them because they've spent more time than they can remember being at home. So coming back to school and having to share toys and things like that is, you know, and I say it to you and it's quite comical, but to them, it's like, stealing cars or like breaking into someone's house or something like giving back my teddy you know it's it's the biggest deal so we do a lot of uh talk of fairness i don't want anyone stealing my teddy either so right yeah. <laughs> i'd be pretty pissed about that Teddy's too. Precious. Yeah. so there's a lot of talking to them about that kind of thing and we 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 tend to you know we'll, we'll report back to the parents and tell them if there's if there's a problem so you can model this at home and we'll be consistent and uh, it'll be fine. So that's managing a group of 20 bloodthirsty children. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say, you, we laugh a little bit at that, but it's only shades away from the truth. Yeah. I mean, you, you let them do whatever and they are bloodthirsty children. Yeah, yeah. It's like be, being in the military or something, which is like either you run them or they run you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have, you know, you're always aware that we're in a world that's right now really badly behaved. You know, it's run by a bunch of spoiled little boys, and uh, we want to, we want it, we want that to be over. So we're trying to the best we can to teach equality and um, kindness in, in the classroom at, at, all, at all times. And uh, I, I like to think that we're, 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 we're getting there, you know? Yeah. yeah. If only your three and four year olds can actually run the country and not these like crazy 70 year olds. So. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so you mentioned, you mentioned that, um, for example, 
preschool kids and all kids, but certainly preschool kids, they're in this, they're in, they're in a place where their brains are really malleable, right? Yeah. Like they, they're not babies. They're, and they're not seven like elementary school kids. Um, they're really trying to figure out how to navigate the world and what they can do and how to interact with other people. Besides, you know, the sharing issue, what other kinds of issues or observations, maybe it's not even an issue, observations have you made a, that kids are struggling with when they come back from being home so for so long? Well, one of the things that we notice every year with the crop of kids is there's um, a gender posses, you know, that, that appear. There's uh, what we call the bros, and they're always uh, a hardcore of like, four boys who you know they're three years old and all they want to do is push each other and they're not being mean oh, okay. they, they're just and they're bros they're just bros and i still see the ones that i have i had when they're three i see them now at seven and eight years old and they're still bros they're still broy. so there's that but then between that and then there, there's there's mean girls as well uh that starts at at, at at that point too and there's there apart from that there's just like three's a crowd and this person doesn't want to play with me and distraught people because two people are really tight and one doesn't get you know there's that kind of navigation going on all the time and you have to talk to them or if one person just wants to have their own space we try and teach the kids to be vocal about that rather than like get lost um and come to the teachers or speak to their friends and some of them are really good at it uh they'll say you know i really want to be by myself right now and these things do resolve themselves but you do see these behaviors that you just know are going to be rearing up again when they're teenagers probably so that 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 happens and that happens quite early on into the year and carries on one of the things we've found with covid is that because we've had you know children who've had it when child a is uh quarantining at home child B doesn't have child A anymore and they were best friends and they can be a little lost. You know, you have to, you have to be aware of that stuff and watch it and say, are you okay? You know, do you want to do something else? Why don't you go and play with blah, blah and make a puzzle or something like that. You interact all the time. You play with them all the time. uh, But you also have to make sure that they don't sort of uh, stick to you as the teacher, you know, and it's okay to to hug and just like if they're having a bad day or something like that. But and I will get down. We all get down the floor and build train tracks and play with them as a group. But if they stick to you, they'll stick to you. Like if we get new teachers in the room, they're like, ha ha, fresh blood, <laughs> yeah. And that teacher is just like someone will go and like shoop. So equality all the way. You just have to make sure that everybody is getting what you have to give and make sure they're playing well with each other and intervene when you need to it's part observation part play you know all the time i mean we just talked we started talking about how three-year-olds are three-nagers and it's like a at first adolescence and you just you know gave a lot of evidence for for that theory which is already those sort of like clicks and posses are forming I do remember when both of my kids were that age, the the idea of gender 
as a construct was starting, yeah. people were starting to understand, right? And there's a lot of like gender policing. Well, only boys play with dinosaurs or yeah, only yeah. girls like pink. Does your role as a teacher help provide a counterpoint to, you know, a lot of kids would be like, well, teachers are girls. Right. I mean, that fortunately, there's not been too much of that talk. And it's funny because I always wondered where it came from. Like this three-year-old is saying, you can't wear that. You're a boy. But we've had... uh, the gender talk in our classrooms has has been very fluid and we have books about the subject and you know our dress up is fair game and i've not really seen like all the, the bros like to wear dresses you know um it happens and nobody's really batted an eyelid about it it's been really quite good but i put that down to really how our directors encourage us to approach it in the classroom. And we've done workshops on this kind of stuff as well before. Because my my daughter is seven. So okay. it wasn't that long ago. I, she must have been three or four. And one of her friends told her, you dress and play like a boy because she was wearing pants and she like she liked dinosaurs. And so she came home that day and was like, oh my God, only wearing dresses, never want to never want to play with dinosaurs again. Like she, it really, like she reacted to it very quickly. So I ended up talking to the director at her school and that little girl who had said that her older sister was kind of bullying her. And so she was taking it out on my daughter. So right. it's really interesting when you're like, I don't know where that comes from because it would be hard to pin down that, patient zero right because yeah it's all this person said it because they were feeling bad about this thing or their mom said something so it just kind of keeps you can keep tracking it yeah and suddenly you're going back to you know the 1920s or something like that so right to be honest my first when I first sort of encountered that kind of talk uh having known the parents of of the child for example who's talking like that I just knew that they wouldn't, you know, that wasn't a conversation they had at home, like boys are boys and girls are girls. And I remember me growing up, and I grew up in the 60s, when my kid, when I was my kid's age in class, it was 1967. I, it was very much like, you know, I wouldn't even wear colored underwear. I thought that that was just like women's clothes, you know, long hair was just like, what, you know, at the age of three. And things have changed so much. I just, it's funny, I wonder how much of it is a conversation. And, you know, a lot of these kids do have older siblings. So, yeah, you're right. That either positive or negative things can come from that. And what that older sibling who's maybe in second or third grade is hearing around them. But I I like to think of our our classroom as as quite a safe space. And... um, you can just be yourself. And I do see that, you know, everybody gravitates to all the toys for different reasons at different times. They're very, I mean, I find our toys to be very uh, gender neutral, just from the point of fact that both genders play with the trains, for example, both genders play with the cars and both genders play with dolls. They love dolls boys and girls and it's over the years just stopped even being a consideration if it comes up it comes up and we address it 
but everyone seems very comfortable in their play in our room. That's really, I mean, that I think is really, really wonderful that that you have conversations about what's going on, but also that that your teaching style and play facilitation in the classroom is very, it's very open that you're not even giving off a vibe like, why are you touching that, right? Like everyone yeah. gets to play with everything because yeah. p children pick up stuff from other children and they also pick up cues from adults. Um, so any sort of, you know, repeated comment or look could really push a kid this way. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to touch that. So that's really cool. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another bit thing sort of circling back to something we were talking about earlier. A bigger problem in our room is best friends, okay? Well, you're not my best friend. Oh, uh, will you be my best friend? Uh, no. <laughs> and so we're always- like, Or probably like, well, uh, yesterday you were my best friend, but you're not my best friend anymore. Right, exactly. So we say you can have as many best friends as you want. Okay, that's, that's the line we give. And uh, then we'll go, if that doesn't work, we go sort of into, we don't call each other boys and girls, we call each other friends. That's the word. I, I see my friends are fighting over there. I, you know, they're not being good friends right now. That's, that's the word we use to try and create a level playing field for their bloodbaths. <laughs> I mean, if they're going to kill each other, at least give them the same chance to kill each other. Right? Exactly. <laughs> You're really running the Hunger Games. Yeah, you know, wow. exactly. Basically, basically. So I'm really curious. I want to shift the gears a little bit. And, you know, you talked about just a minute ago, you talked about taking a workshop. What kind of training did you have to, you know, go through to become a preschool teacher? My training was training on the job, you know, and that was the best possible training I had. And I remember I started in the summer. I just started, I started working in a classroom and I had uh, a, a teacher who's another male who was mentoring me, really. I just followed his lead because there was a routine in place already. Uh, that made that part really easy. You know, when you talked earlier about like, what are we going to do all day? It was all, it's already divided up into, it's not all day. It's like, what are we going to do for the next 20 minutes? And let's wash hands for an hour, you know. Uh, <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I've definitely seen, you know, when both of my kids, they both went to the same uh, preschool and it sounds a lot like Oak Park Friends School. Just the potty time and the hand washing time is like, 30 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> Getting everyone to go to the restroom and then wash their hands. It's like it, they, especially for field trips, right? They'd have to start like an hour before. <laughs> we do. We do. I tell you, man, going to the bathroom, hand washing, then putting on snow pants, you know, that's okay. Time for dinner. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the snow pants is awful. Snow pants and snow boots are just like. We've got it down to science, though. Oh, we gosh. really have it. We have. We are a well-oiled machine. <laughs> well, and then you know, I, I, you know, I mentioned my best friend. Uh, her name is Jen. You know, when we were going to put our daughter into daycare, she said, "I promise you, no matter how structured you think you are at home, you're nowhere near what they are in school." <laughs> Because otherwise, bathroom time would take the whole day. And I was uh, 
uh, what then, um, when you when the parents go on the field trip with the class, I was chaperone. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> this is why I should not be a, th- a three year old teacher. Um, <laughs> but I was a chaperone for one of her school field trips. Um, I spent more time. I was like that museum bathroom was lovely. I spent more time in that bathroom yeah. than I did in the actual museum. Yeah. So I cannot like those kinds of little things where you're like even just trying to get my kid in her coat and boots in the morning to get out of the door on time. I can't imagine multiplying that by 20. What I did after my first winter there was, you know, quit. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I am here doing this now. I mean, what's my hurry? We have to share the space with other classes. So we do have a certain amount of time to be outside. And at some point, these kids are going to get tired. They're going to need a nap. But you can, you have to be ready to sacrifice time and just accept that it might not go to plan. Generally, it does. And for the most part, the trajectory is the first week with snow is really hard this year they've got really good at putting on their snow pants and that's because we have one teacher in each corner of the room supplying a different item of winter clothing it's like it's a factory <laughs> yeah it's gotta be assembly line snow clothing yeah but we also were really hard we're really hard on them uh in terms of looking after themselves uh, you know, because you will get the, these kids who have their boots and say, I don't know what to do. And say, yep, yeah, I actually do. Because two days ago, you did it just fine. And they'll do it. That tends to be attention seeking. Yeah, your, it is. In, in your experience. Yeah. And I'll just go, well, you know what? Statistically, you should be able to do this by now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do they appreciate the statistics being thrown at them? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a really good point, which is, you know, parents... Parents of young children feel very generally harried. I don't know, maybe yeah. not everyone, but I feel like I was pretty harried. I was less harried with my second, but certainly with my first. I was like, eh. Same here. And, and so then there's a lot of, um, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Uh, we're gonna be late. And then when the kid, when your kid goes, I can't do it, it's taking forever. Then you're like, I'll just do it for you. Cause we gotta go. And, and I think the point that you make, which is like, all right, so you'll take you two less minutes outside. Yeah. Right? What else are we doing here? If it takes you 20 minutes to put your snow pants on, you won't have time to play outside. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Ramping it down just to be like, take time. You can do it. I know you can. And I'm going to wait here with you. But I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. When they do do it, they're really excited. And they'll tell their parents that they, they did it. And, you know, there's been quite a lot of times when parents have picked up and I've seen them here, I'll put on your coat for you. And I've been like, ah, uh-uh. they can do it. They, they they can do this. Watch them. You know, your, your kid is good. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure my daughter learned how to zip her coat, not from me. Right. Like, I would just do it. Like, here's your coat. And then one time she came home and she knew how to zip her own coat. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. How many teachers are at Oak Park Front School? And then what's the breakdown of men to women? Oh, okay. I can't, you know, I honestly couldn't tell you how we have a lot of classrooms. Um, let me see. Boy, so there are three male teachers. 
and a ton of female teachers. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. It's like maybe forty employees, or you know. Um, and there's uh, yeah, there's three three male teachers. So less than ten percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It used to we used to have another couple. There was a couple more. Uh, there's in the after school program. There's more male counselors, but in the actual classrooms, it's it's uh, pre very predominantly female. Yeah, you know that seems to be the norm. Yeah, so, it is. Mm -hmm. So, do you ever get the you know the the question that we anticipate that you might get, like, why are you doing that? Uh, you know, I don't think anyone's been upfront enough to say that to me, but I've read their faces, mm -hmm. especially with maybe friends who are my age who are childless. It's it's so alien to them, like what oh okay all right that's cool like they can't conceive of why i would want to spend my waking hours with a bunch of really small kids but what is their perception of it they their perception is probably like i just go in and it's like you know bedlam like all day yeah it's just the why would you do that to yourself um and even some parents will say to me like oh, i don't know how you do it and well, it's actually really easy. And, you know, it's it's very, very rewarding work. And it can be a drudge, like like I said earlier, uh, like any job. But um, yeah, uh, I've read faces and I've seen that uh, look on people's faces before. And uh, I don't have an answer for them unless they want to really dig deep and like come to work for a day, see what I do. Now, next time you just say like, here, listen to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're here for digging deep. Right? I think the other interesting thing is like, why does anyone do what they do? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's kind of a, well, why do you want to be a preschool teacher? I don't know, why do you want to work in tech? Like, Right, why do you want to, I could not, well, here's another thing is like, I can't sit still. I could not have a job that requires me and I never have had a job that requires me to sit still and work at a desk, that is not me at all. I move and I move and I move and then I sleep. I may watch an hour of TV, uh, but you know, like I said, I'm a musician, my hands are always like, you know. Um, so yeah, a job like this is something that you can't be a slouch at. You don't get away with that. They will not let you get away with that. You have to move all the time. And I love that, you know, it, it's, it's a nice feeling. I mean, that's a really great point that being a preschool teacher, if you have the temperament for it, it's also a really great job for people who like to be active yes. and on their feet and, and doing something all the time, not hitting keys. And my husband's a VP of finance at a tech company. And like, sometimes I, I just like, are you, have you even moved since the last time I saw you? Because he's just, you know, it's all day at a screen with spreadsheets and on the other screen is a zoom window and you're just like you just are people just coming in and out of this zoom screen and you just have the same thing up it's like you said there's treasury but there's also the a that's in every job but there's a lot of activity and yeah stuff, everything something to be different every day well yeah and also you have you can walk into that room and change it up at any time you want 
like we plan what we do okay we plan our activities and uh the crafts we're going to do but sometimes i'll walk into a room and i'll just get an idea and say you know what we're going to do this today and it may work it may not work but we'll have a good time trying and uh sometimes my other teachers look at me like i'm crazy like the other day i went in and i put up a few years ago i put up washing lines in my room they stretch all the way across so we can hang things from them like the kids art and things like that yeah and i went into the room and i hammered some nails in the skirting board pulled the washing lines down and put baby oil on them we're going to make a ski lift and so made this stupid ski lift with people in it out of Lego and just, <laughs> you know, they smashed every time, but the kids loved it. <laughs> oh, well, smashing Legos is the most fun ever. Great. <laughs> I would not have even thought of that. That I was like, that's that I put that up for hanging things. It's going to hang things. Like that, I don't, I can't reconfigure stuff like that in my head. Yeah. I just walked in and saw them and thought, Ooh, <laughs> And it worked. It worked, it worked fine. enough it worked to great. keep your kids occupied. Yeah. Yeah. As a preschool teacher, do you have to? You said you had on-the-job training. Do you get the opportunity to go out for workshops or learn different things or conferences and things like that? I mean, back when you could go to conferences, but yeah, no, a lot. In fact, right now I'm doing uh, I'm doing courses, and we are expected to do courses. Uh, every year uh, for credit hours. And uh, right at the moment, I'm doing uh, a course for a certificate. But there's lots of conferences thrown at us all the time. They're all, there's usually Zoom conferences these days, but we get to go for free and uh, learn. I think preschool teaching has an awful lot to do with trading ideas. The times I've gone to conferences like that, and there's been uh examples of work that's being done or, or crafts that people have done you will come away with something and make it your own you know uh it's it's really fantastic so i think a lot of it is bartering and trading ideas yeah you shamelessly steal it's such a different <laughs> yeah. you know it's such a different world than the world that i run in i work in nonprofits, and so conference is like you go there and you sit down and you have speakers talking at you and then like you network and you trade some business cards and yeah. then you go home. Yeah. This is yeah. such a, it's such a different way. It's far more dynamic to go into a situation like yeah. this and be like, what can I bring? What am I going to learn? What am I going to walk away with? Yeah. Well, they have to make it fun because your job is to sort of try and create a fun atmosphere that involves learning. I mean, I trust me, I've had some, I've been talked at before by lecturers at conferences who are just like not getting it at all. Like, do you, have you ever, do you have children? Have you ever been with children? <laughs> do you, have you, were you a child? <laughs> were you a child? Point? Are you a robot? <laughs> um, so, but most of them are made up of things that are, will make you go, oh yeah, that's a cool idea. That's fun. They have to be fun based. I mean, your, your customer is three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they will tell you if it's not fun yeah, they very will. quickly. They will kick it over. I have to tell you, I, one of the best, I was so impressed with, um, I guess the school, but now, now I'm like, it could have been anybody if, if they're, you're going to these conferences and sharing ideas, who knows where this idea came from? My daughter's classroom, they were learning about different artists and so they had this big book and they were going through all the artists and then 
they were learning about Michelangelo and they put like stock paper underneath their desks and laid down and were drawing underneath their desks like he would have had to on the Sistine Chapel and just to realize like how difficult that would be how fun it could be what you can do how how you know careful do you have to be if you're doing it upside down and stuff like that and I was like oh my gosh that was I thought it was brilliant and I thought it was so fun and it was something that like if you say something about Michelangelo now my kid can tell you right she could school an adult about Michelangelo right. just because of that two weeks and daycare we've we've done that before yeah see it wasn't my it wasn't my kid's school well we we did it for michelangelo but we also did it for outer space week like how would you paint in a spaceship kind of you know but i do actually get an awful lot of my ideas from art from artists because most of the time they think so far outside the box uh you bring that those concepts into a classroom it's it's always great fun painting with different things why do we have to use brushes to paint why can't we use you know whatever toothbrushes or our hands or legos legos are fun to paint with cars are great because they go you know, paint goes well with everything <laughs> that's true i mean unless you're the mom yeah and have to clean it all up you know well, it doesn't yeah. go well with anything it's glitter oh yeah it's the worst. Play-Doh too. Play-Doh gets in everything. And then it like mix. I don't, I'm even when I was a kid, she's going to laugh because this <laughs> is like totally me. Even when I was a kid, I didn't understand Play-Doh because the minute you put it together, which you're supposed to do now, you can't take it. Like now it's this mishmash of a color. So now what if you want blue next time? Now this is like blue and pink together. Yeah. That you, you, you hit the nail <laughs> on the head. I mean, we, when I first started, a lot of the teachers were like, keep the play, Play-Doh colors separate, keep them separate. And I'm like, this is only going to work for a, sm- a small amount of time. They will get mixed <laughs> up. Just accept. Yeah, this. that is true. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> that's absolutely true. I also, you know, just hearing you talk about how the continuing education that, that preschool teachers have to do, is really focused on what's fun, what's engaging, right? Yeah. You can't, being talked at is, it's acceptable for adults, but it's also not engaging for adults. And how can we, I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts. Like how can we adopt some of the the core concepts of preschool into higher education and even, you know, sort of the profession, quote unquote, professional working world. Like the idea of lying underneath the desk and and, and drawing, okay, that's not necessarily going to be appropriate for, uh, you know, a conference on, you know, nonprofit management, for example, but can we incorporate some, something like that, that makes it more playful, more fun, more like it engages your body and your mind, not just listening? Yeah, well, you know, one of, uh, one of, one of the things that's always inspired me was that, uh, I was, you know, I grew up in in rock bands and in a rock band, you're with a small amount of people and you have to figure out how to make it work. And if it does work, you get to a point where you don't even have to talk to each other anymore. Communication between people 
is is really key in these situations. Not talking about what you're suggesting, but you have to break down an awful lot of barriers before you get to that point. My wife is a film professor, and she has an incredible arsenal of um, activities for students to uh, do with each other, to play with each other, essentially, to get to know each other and to come up with uh, concepts. Uh, I, and, you know, years and years and years ago, I used to have a girlfriend who was uh, an actress and she told me once that she went to school one day and they were told to recite this Beckett Samuel Beckett soliloquy, but they had to act like a pigeon to do it. They had to move around the room like a pigeon. But that was breaking down barriers. I think that's essentially what what you have to do. It seems like so many things in the corporate world are run on meetings. I mean, that sounds so boring to me. Like, I think you have to come at it you know, you're getting, when you talk about a meeting, you're talking about a, a thing that isn't working necessarily. You're trying to figure out ways to make mm-hmm. more money to when you're working, this will generate more money. And, you know, there has to be some kind of like psychological incentive in there. So I think you're right. These things need to be fun. That said, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I've never been to a corporate meeting before in my life so I I don't know what goes on I just thought it was like no, you're, you know you're not that wrong though yeah talking talking about what to do not and people checking anything. their watches for when the yeah. bar opens you know right. <laughs> yeah right. pretty much I love that you are like no actually no one you know no one's said like you're a man why are you doing this or your kids aren't saying that and stuff like that I I find myself intrigued because you said yourself, and I'm not, I'm not guessing, but you said that you were 50 when you made the switch. Yeah. Um, and what, by the time you're 50, we all hope, right, to be in our 40s and be like really sure about ourselves. And maybe this is not really something you want to answer, but we're talking, or that you can answer. But we're in this season, we're talking about bucking gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you would have considered back, you know, in when you were 30? to consider going into something that was so female dominated. And then when you did go into it, when you're 50, mm-hmm. was there a part of you that was like, Oh my God, this is a little strange or people are going to look at me weird. Was that part of your thought process at all? I guess No, it wasn't. And it never has been. I mean, I never, it's never, I mean, I'm certainly aware of, certain professions that were uh, female dominated. But when I went for this job, it was not, gender didn't come into it. I just, you know, I I was genuinely curious about it. I've always worked with an equal amount of male to female. Moving into a situation that was predominantly female, it didn't, didn't faze me at all. I wasn't worried about it and I was right to not be worried about it I mean you know when I think about how women have been treated in the workforce over 
time and still and I hear firsthand stories about, uh, you know, boys clubs and stuff like that. To be in a place that has a female hierarchy, I think I'm kind of lucky. I get, there's not definitely an approach, but there's definitely not like five dudes in suits who are telling me what to do at, at all. You know, it's not that kind of uh, profession. And it's not uh, a power play happening. It's no, just... and it, it's not about that. And it, I don't reckon, I don't see that there. And the the absolute ultimate goal of everybody in that building is to make sure that the kids are happy having a good time and they're not hurt and that's that and that really is it uh and you know i'm i I feel really privileged to be able to uh work with uh you know so many females and there's not 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 once has anyone made me feel like I i can't imagine if I was, you know, I said I was with two other men. Can you imagine if I was, it was three women with 40 men? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is unthinkable. Yes, I can, actually. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. It takes a really strong person to not, um, to not even consider any of those gender dynamics. The flight attendant said that if there's a woman with a baby, I, he could be standing right there and that woman will seek out a female flight attendant to, to say like, hey, can you hold my baby while I go to the bathroom or something like that? You are, they don't, like, people don't have a choice because you, that is your job is to take care of these kids. I, I love that you haven't had that personally, right? But have you seen that in the industry or have you heard that with other men, your other male teachers being like, you know, that they were, someone's looking at them, like you said, it's on their face. What kind of reactions are you getting just from your colleagues for, for those kind of, those kind of gender things? Yeah, I, you know, I don't, it has not happened that much. And uh, my male colleagues have never talked to me about any kind of, you know, there have been occasions over the year. There was one occasion I remember where there was sisters in my room. Something happened between the sisters and another kid who was there. And the father got really upset that there was male teachers in the room. He didn't say it to me, but he said it to the directors. And the directors were like, they work there. That's, that's, that's who they are you know, this is how we run things. And uh, there's never been any complaints. And I don't know if the parents are just too chicken to say it, but there have been no complaints and the kids do like us. And uh, it's, I've, I've only ever got, like I've had several mothers come up to me and say, I'm so glad there's a man in this room. That really is great. And there's been a couple of uh, parents who were, um, single mothers who have said, I really appreciate that there's a man in the room because that's missing at home right now, you know? So it balances itself out. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it makes complete sense, especially in this day and age when uh, fathers are doing hopefully a lot more at home with, with young children. And when me and my wife started having kids, we split our jobs. Okay. So we were working these crazy hours 
uh, so that I would be home till like three in the afternoon and then go and work till 10 and she would be home. So I had to learn how to do it quite quickly. And uh, it was not alien to me. It was not, you know, working with a tiny infant was my son at the time. And then my daughter It was like, it, it's, it's fine. You know, there's nothing, nothing alien about it. It should be natural to men. Uh, you know, it's changing diapers and making sure they're not sick, but there's only several things. They're tired or they're hungry. That's why they're crying, blah, 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 you know. Um, and you do know when they're in pain or when something's wrong and you can, you have to run to the ER or whatever, call your pediatrician. And I, I found it tiring, but rewarding, you know, uh, and I think in a sense, that was my extension, like getting this job was like an extension of that because my babies grew up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they, they don't listen. <laughs> so, you know, we could hear, you know, you have an accent and you had mentioned that you're from Scotland. Yeah. Um, what I and I have to admit, I don't know. What is the kind of social norms there compared to here when it comes to gender? It's a lot, a lot more relaxed and it always has been. Uh, I mean, I think part of the reason for me why it was so easy was that I came of age in the 80s in Scotland, uh, in, in the UK, and there was a massive, towards the end of the 70s, you know, feminism became a very major uh, conversation. And so when I was growing up, all the friends that I had who were female were very enlightened about it and were very uh, quick to put you in your place. Uh, and same with my mom and my aunt and my cousin, the sort of relatives who were closest to me. We did not have a typical family. It was very uh, female, matriarch, you know, uh, driven. And also the idea of feminism was a breath of fresh air. Uh, uh, after, um, you know, they grew up in the se during the Second World War and things like that. Uh, and after the Second World War, it became like housewives and husbands, you know, like, like in America. Um, and then very quickly, they were like, no, not so much. It started, I mean, I know that there was so much political unrest towards the end of the 70s there was so much dissatisfaction in britain but in a way it was good because a lot of people became more awake to things and it seemed to me that the sort of gender roles in scotland in the 80s it came to a point where men get over yourselves let's just go and and live our lives and it was a lot nicer you know, it was a lot nicer. When I came to America, it was very, it was still like, I was really, I put my foot in my mouth so much because it was still very, seemed very divisive in that, that situation. However, when I did first come to America, I was kind of like mentored by, uh, by gay men. Like, you know, uh, I came over because of music and the record company I was working for was run by uh, gay men. And I, you know, quite flamboyant, outwardly gay. They didn't hide anything. And so I was in a bit of a bubble. 
but then when I started to tour and go to places like Texas and ooh, uh, it was still alive and kicking down there, you know, yeah, uh, still is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And so I think that this country still, the roles are a lot, are still traditional. And I've seen a lot of people who've sort of like pushed against the traditional thing and then like sort of like got suckered back into it after a while. Like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Or just get, exhausted yeah 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 there's a lot of and i'm not i'm cannot claim to be an expert on this at all but there is a lot of information out there of, about how america's government response post world war ii when all the soldiers came home enforced a set of gender norms that and again i'm not an expert likely did not exist before Mm -hmm. that right this idea that there's a man who leaves the house and the woman stays home and raises the kids and blah, blah blah it certainly wasn't like that during world war ii when you know most of the male population was fighting overseas it wasn't like that you know before that either because everyone had to work you're on the farm or you're in the city and everyone's worrying um it just that seems like a real pivotal moment in this country's evolution of understanding gender roles in a way that didn't happen in the rest of the world post-World War II because they didn't do those things. Right, exactly. So there's more space for men and women to go, oh, we, well, we want to eat. Both of us have to work or you have the better paying job. So I'll, you know, I'll pick up the kids. Like it, there wasn't the artificial enforcement or enticement to adopt this role. And now it's like, you know, 60, 70 years later, we're still having a hard time letting go yeah yeah it seems like you know scotland <clears throat> it seems like it wasn't that it was trying to progress rather than it just became the norm and the norm spread and uh it, it it's it's just the way that the society is now and you know it just seems like thought is given or has been given to things like that like recycling and things like that a lot more than it has been here. It's a very different uh, structure. So we should all move to Scotland, is what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> Highly recommended. One of the things we have heard from all of our male guests and female, female dominated fields is that the initial assumption is that you're gay, that a man must be gay to want to enter this field. I'm assuming that's probably never happened with your coworkers because they know you. Has it ever happened with a parent? uh not that i know of i mean they've got to be nice to me right they can't they can't come out with lazy. and I, I also put the asterisk on it that this is oak park yeah it's right like there are some things that like even if you think that might be true you just don't say them out loud because it's not appropriate to say that out loud in this environment right no i know i've often thought about if i you know if you know we moved or something like that and i had to go to another uh daycare and get a job there what it would be like and i know that they're from talking to my co-workers who many of them have worked in many different daycares the i am very lucky you know we are very lucky uh because the 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 structure of some other places sound very almost draconian um you know and i might not get employed there i don't know but nobody has asked me if i'm gay uh yeah, which would be fine. Yeah. 
if it was if they were being nice <laughs> about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and like I said, like people when you tell people, oh, this is what they, you know, when people ask you, what do you do? And that's what I do, like you can see it on their faces. But in Oak Park and the greater Chicago area, we know people know that the norm is you don't say certain things out loud. And so you might think, why are you doing that? But you're not going to ask, why are you doing that? <laughs> the other question I have, and again, we've heard this from, you know, our other guests, is that regardless of what side of the fence room, whether you're in a male-dominated field or a female-dominated field, being a man automatically gives you a bit of power in a way that women don't get. So our, our nurse guest was saying, you know, I can step in and talk to belligerent patients and they will just back down when they are harassing a female nurse about why is X happening or why is this not happening, right? So do you have, do you, have you experienced that with parents? That sometimes a parent will like push on a teacher and then you come in and you step in and they're like, oh, sorry, never mind. I've, I don't think it's gender related. I think that, uh, first of all, I think that um, a lot of parents will defer to the female teacher for uh, certain informations. But I also know from knowing my coworkers that we kind of, we kind of know which parents we get along better with than others. And it's not gender specific. What kind of information do people ask female versus man, male teachers? Uh, you know, there's a rash on his butt. Did, okay. did he go to the bathroom today? And I generally what we do is if there's information about the kid, uh, they'll text through the day if there's something up. And then at pickup time, we'll, whoever's nearest the parent will go up and talk. But uh, if you have uh, not a better or worse relationship with the parent, I like to think we have good relationships with all the parent. But if you know them better, you'll go up. Yeah. And, I, you know, you tend to, you know, you, you, you can't know all the kids at all the same time, at the same level. There's some kids I know better. And it's never sort of like, okay, you drew the short straw, you go talk to crazy parent A over there. <laughs> information has to be given over, it's crucial. And the, the, the job, the information flow from parent to teacher and from teacher to parent is, is really crucial, whether it's behavioral or whether he shat his pants 20 times during the day or something wow. like that, you know. I'm hoping that you're telling the parent throughout the day and not just at the end. <laughs> Saving it for the end. Surprise. <laughs> Here's all your laundry. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, we keep them updated all the time by machine. You know, we text them. They don't know what gender is texting them. It's, it seems to be equitable. It seems to be that we, and I mean, it's something that me and my other teachers who we're, we're a close bunch, you know, we're, we're, we're tight. We know, we can kind of feel when it's right to talk to parent A versus parent B. But I have noticed that, for example, if I see someone weird lurking around the playground, I'll, I'll get on my high horse and go out and investigate. <laughs> you know, so, can I help you? You, you? That loud, booming voice comes A loud, like booming said. Scottish voice will help out a lot. That's, that's, a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. It's so fascinating to hear the other side of, you know, 
what it's like to work in the preschool environment. I think, you know, like Kosha was saying earlier, most people think it's pandemonium. That scene from Toy Story 3, when the kids come in from the playground and everything's flying everywhere. Like, I think that's what most people imagine it to be like. And what I'm hearing you say, it's actually more like a military academy for, for, <laughs> for young ones to be like, now we're doing this. Now we're doing this. Nope, it's time to go potty. Everyone goes potty. Everyone washes their hands. Everyone lies down now. Yeah, and it, it, it works really well for things like potty training as well. Oh, it's peer-driven, you know. They listen to the Mob peers, mentality. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only thing is the secret, don't give them sugar. Ever? In a group situation, ever. Oh, in a group I could totally see. They hype each other up, right? One person, they get hyper and they get, calm can get ugly. Right? The, the peer influence, good or bad, everyone's just bouncing off the walls. We had a parent come in a few years ago for maybe it was her kid's birthday or something. I can't remember why, but she brought in a box. There was how many kids have you got in your room? Okay, we've got 20 kids. Okay. And she brought in a box of 20 do donuts, like actual donuts. I have never, ever witnessed anything like it in my life. <laughs> it was brutal. It was brutal. Like we had to, it was a rising crescendo of, of oh. just, you know, every horror movie mixed together. We had to just let them out into the playground, just say, just go. Just run. Kill each other, do what you need to do. That, that is People bring full-size donuts into a preschool party, and that is what you do. You give it to them literally 10 minutes before parents are supposed to pick them up and go, well, yes, go home with do. that. You know, that parent didn't like you. <laughs> Our penultimate question, now what advice or reflections or, you know, like if someone was thinking about going into preschool education, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them to first and foremost pay attention to the kids and i mean that seems so obvious to say but the best the greatest lesson i've ever learned is to learn who your kids are when they're in the classroom learn what their quirks are uh learn what they like learn what they don't like look at them interacting with other kids observe uh and do it on the job don't just go into a classroom and stand there just play with them and uh once you know that you can control their minds. No, once you know that, you know, you know what you're walking into each morning. You know what kids have a bad drop off and why, and you can counter that. You can give them a better day. So that that's my advice. Just learn who you're working with. And also the the teachers you're working with, be a team. You know, be be a team. Uh find out you know let, learn about them you know I've, I've one of the greatest things is I've got to work with a great and diverse selection of people learn about them learn about their cultures and talk with them and uh, have a rapport with them and the day goes really quickly it's really good really awesome you know your advice about pay attention to your kids like that is all that's like the ultimate parenting advice and yeah. you're just translating that to a classroom setting, yeah. which is yeah. pay attention to your kids. Like 
know who they are and know what they like and what they don't like and like what's going to, you know, make them upset and what's going to calm them down. And, you know, if then you can work with them to be like, oh, it's why are you freaking out? Oh, because it's time to eat. And that always when you're hungry, you're always freaking out or whatever it is. You will learn. And it doesn't mean pandering to them. It just means listening to them Mm -hmm. and uh, you'll find out how they work, you know what their systems are like how and only if more people did that not just with children but with adults yeah i know if you just understand your client or your friends or your colleagues or your spouse like you know life with the day will go a lot faster (laughs) right and like you said earlier like usually they're throwing a tantrum because they need attention they are hungry or they're tired and that honestly does not change through the years like you could be probably i'm 42 and when i'm when i'm totally in a bad mood it's because i'm hungry or tired or i need attention (laughs) you know we could talk to you forever but yeah um, we want to be really mindful of time you also have kids i can't imagine going and dealing with kids and then coming home and being like you know what i've to your own kids because i've been dealing with kids all day you go you just do whatever you want like your house is probably bedlam but your classroom is like (laughs) structured and on top of it teach your own children to cook at an early age that's i'll make dinner tonight dad okay thanks bye yeah awesome yeah it's great (laughs) you know we talk weird with our families there's a whole psychology behind it it comes down to shared stories shared history um most of the time they're funny um, and, but they're only funny to like the outside, right? Because in your own home, in your own family, we're just talking normal, but someone else hears you and they're like, why did you say that word? What does that mean? And then you realize that, oh, that sounds weird to everybody else. Yes. Can you give us some examples of your, and family could be biological family, it could be found family, um, you know, your, your work family, classroom, work family. Can you give us some examples of your personal femelect? Uh, yeah, my wife and I often speak to each other in quotes of what our kids said at a very early age, right? So when Angus and Ailsa, that's my children, when they were, not necessarily learning to talk, but when they had phrases and words, they're often nonsensical. And we always bring them up because it always makes us laugh. An example would be our kid's doctor when they were really young was Dr. Etner. Okay. And he was a wonder, he still is a wonderful pediatrician. He moved uh, a brilliant pediatrician and um, Angus loved him. This was before my daughter was born. And when Angus was learning to speak, he would say things like, Dr. Etner's having lunch with his mummy and daddy, you know? So we'll still bring <laughs> up that stuff, not to him, cause he doesn't give a shit. Uh, yeah. But we bring up to each other and just, ah! you know, crack yeah. each other up. And, it's and just it means worked, nothing. Yeah, yeah. It worked, it's worked its way into our day to day. We hear a lot of family, particularly, you know, when we talk to parents, that the family comes from something that their kids said when they were, you know, they had words, but they were building their vocabulary. So, you know, it's like a, a mishear or a misspeak. And then it just becomes what you say. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's exactly right and it's all going to be with us and we're like but it's like if i heard you say that to your wife and you both started cracking up i'd be like that's kind of a weird thing to say but it's not that funny you know like it's not hilarious also maybe he is having dinner with his (laughs) mommy and daddy yeah it's not funny right he should be happy (laughs) (laughs) also i love that your son's name is angus is that one of the most Scottish names like out there. It really is. That is uh, you don't hear like Americans who name their kids Angus. Not not much, no. <laughs> it is Scottish, isn't it? Yeah. It's very Scottish, yeah. It's actually an area of Scotland called Angus. Oh, oh okay. That makes sense. Then. I had no idea. Oh my god, I didn't know that. I'm so shocked. You need I, to go. I, I, I well, yeah. You, I need to go you, you like wet fields, you'll love it. I actually don't like wet fields that much, but I do want to go to Scotland. <laughs> My husband and I went to Ireland. Oh, you years did? Ago. Yeah, years ago. And we do want to go to Scotland, actually. My husband loves whiskey and beer. So we went when I was pregnant because I'm like, I don't like whiskey and I don't like beer. So <laughs> he, got to, he got to have a lot of it. But we were there and I'm like, oh, it is really green. It is as green as people say it is. But that's because it is as wet as you would need for everything to be that green all the time. (laughs) And there's so many sheep. Chris, there's so many sheep. Yeah. They're more sheep than people. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how it is in Scotland too? There's a lot of sheep in Scotland. It's like a three to one ratio in Ireland at least. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why I did it the other day, but I looked up if it was legal to have a pet kangaroo in, in Illinois and it's legal, just is in it? case you're wondering. It is yeah. not. I would have. I would have said for sure it's not. Me yeah, too. But no, it. it's absolutely fine. I wonder. Are you going to be on the news for having a kangaroo? <laughs> it sounds like so. it's legal to have a a pet kangaroo in Illinois, but it may be illegal to purchase a kangaroo and bring it to the states. Like I was like, how would how would you get one? The dark web. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> but that's all illegal stuff. Kangaroos know. are assholes. It's very good. They are. Anything I've seen about kangaroos is they're punching or kicking or hopping. They're assholes. Why yeah. do you want one? I don't know. I, I don't even know if it was a law invented just to appease people. It's like, hey, you don't have this, but you can have as many kangaroos as you like. <laughs> you know, that that sounds like it might be like somebody's pet policy is like, my consti- one of my constituents will not shut up about this stupid kangaroo law. Right. Can we just pass it so they'll stop yeah. talking to me? Yeah. The other thing that's so fascinating to me is like outside of Australia, at least in the states, like people think like, oh, kangaroos, so blah 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 blah. In Australia, they're like deer. Like people hate them. They're pests. They get into the garbage. They're like deer here, where it's like, oh my god, get out of the road. <laughs> Well, Chris, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I don't get much adult time, as you might know. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. I think, again, I'm going to go back to the fact that, like, you were 50 when you made this change. You just were really sure of yourself. And you're like, okay, so. So I'm going to do this now. I think we all need to have that, that kind of you know, like confidence and, and security about ourselves. If we could just teach them early, right? Like when they're three and four, so they don't have to wait until they're 50. Cause it may well work out just fine. It worked Absolutely. out fine for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again so much. Thank you. I'm going to go 
crawl under a desk and draw. Or something. <laughs> Do it. 